following message is by Pastor Steve Lee of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. Morning, everyone. Merry Christmas. Feels, uh, we always do the Christmas service on the Sunday before Christmas, and so this year it feels a little strange because we're still a few days away from Christmas, but um, I think we're just in this whole Advent season, like we said, and rather than it being pinpointed on a single day, it's just this extended um, series of weeks in which we've been really reflecting on the love of God uh, as expressed through this Christmas season and what that message of God's love is. And so join with me in a word of prayer as we uh, turn to God's word now in this act of worship. We thank you, God, for this amazing gift of your son, Jesus Christ. Who could have imagined that this would be the depth to which you would show your care and love for us is to give us your only son, that he would come to earth and become one of us, that he might give up his life for our sins. And so we pray that as we celebrate that 2,000 years later, after that event, that there would nevertheless be a living and active faith that comes alive in each one of our hearts that acknowledges you and what you've done for us. And not just to acknowledge that fact, but to glory in it and celebrate it and rejoice in it. And ultimately, may that lead to our worship of you. So we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, a movie came out last year that kind of really resonated me with it in a pretty deep and visceral way because it was the first time I felt there was ever a movie that attempted to tell uh, my story, a story that uh, was really reflective in my own experience. And that's this movie called Minari. And it depicts this Korean family that immigrated to the U.S., uh, first to California and then eventually to Arkansas in the 1980s. And our family immigrated from Korea in the 1970s, uh, mid-1970s. And so as I was watching the film, I was struck by all these little details that I could totally identify with and recognize about that immigrant experience. And I actually wanted to use this movie for a much bigger illustration, but there's just uh, one thing that I really want to highlight from the movie for this uh, Christmas service. The father and mother work together in this chicken farm. And they basically work all day sexing little uh, baby chicks, uh, separating between male and female chicks. And I don't know, apparently Koreans were very good at this back then. And the father is just tolerating this job because through it he can get enough money so that he wants to fulfill his dream to be a produce farmer, supplying produce for all the local grocery stores in the South. And while taking a break from this really menial labor of sexing little baby chicks, uh, he goes out for a smoking break, and he's there with his little son, David. And he tells his son that all the male chicks are separated like that because they're discarded. And he tells his son the reason why they're discarded is because they don't taste good, so you can't use them for meat and they don't lay eggs. So basically, they're useless. And so they're thrown away. And then he pauses, and he tells his son David a life lesson. A life lesson. And he says, you and I must be useful. We must be useful. 
And that's really, in many ways, what the whole movie is about. It's about a man's search for significance as a man, as a husband, as a father. And I, I think, truthfully, this idea of being useful um, really speaks to the immigrant experience because we would hear those stories growing up of how this guy used to be a uh, professor of a university in Korea, but suddenly he comes to America and he's a dry cleaner or he's a janitor. And there was this incredible sense of loss for many immigrants of what was once uh, a point of pride now being stripped away from them simply because they don't speak the language and they struggle in this foreign land. And so this man is on a search for finding himself to be useful. And it's this tragic wisdom that he has come to terms with about learning that this is how life is. If you are not useful to somebody, then you're worthless. You're a nobody. And he sadly teaches that lesson to his children like that. And in fact, this movie will capture how desperate is his struggle to be found useful to others. It is um, such a destructive journey that he almost destroys his family and everything that he loves in pursuit of that dream of being useful to them. This is the brokenness and the brutality of the world that you and I are born into. It's what Christ would look at and say, sheep without a shepherd. Each of us trying to live according to our own wisdom. And throughout this Advent season, we've been exploring this heart of God toward us, especially in our sin and in our suffering. And one of the things that we've seen coming out clearly is this message that you are not useful and therefore you are worthy of something. But you are loved. And you're greatly valued by your God in heaven. And this is the heart of God toward us. That the instinct of humanity is that when somebody rejects us, we reject them. But the message of the Bible is that when we reject God, God draws near to us in his passionate love for us, in his compassion and his mercy. Sadly, though, as I said in my last message, the full story is that despite this being the heart of God toward us, we have not reciprocated. We have turned our back on God. We have chosen to reject the love that he wants to give. And we see that story being played out in Israel. God told them, told them that I will be your king. But they said, we don't want you to be our king. We want an earthly leader, a human king, like all the other nations. And so God honored their request and gave them human kings. And sadly, every one of these kings would go on to act wickedly in his eyes, driving the people further and further away from God. And one of these kings of Judah was a man named Ahaz, who did all kinds of horrible things as the leader of Judah. And so God sent a prophet to Ahaz to tell him this message that despite all of the wicked things he had done, that he had not given up on him and that he still cared about him. And so through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 10 through 14, we find this message of God to King Ahaz. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Basically, God was giving Ahaz a blank check. 
and saying, ask anything above, anything above, anything below. The whole world is yours. Just ask whatever you want, and I will give you the most amazing sign that I am still with you and that I care about you. But Ahaz, in this expression of false humility, says, no, I don't even want a sign because I don't want to test God, which was a total wrong understanding of testing the Lord because when God says, do not test me, he was saying it in the context of doubting God and not trusting him and therefore testing him. But in this situation, it is God himself that invites Ahaz and says, ask of me whatever you want and I will give it to you as a sign. And he rejected it and pushed God away. So then this is what God says in response to Ahaz, not even willing to ask a sign from God in verses 13 to 14. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And so God basically tells Ahaz, you won't even honor me by accepting this invitation for a sign. Fine, I will give you a sign. And the sign that I will give you is that a child will be born of a virgin and her son will be named Emmanuel, which is God with us. So at the heart of what this child will do will be to restore our relationship that has been broken with God. And so Isaiah 40, verse 1 to 5, it says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sins have been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And then in chapter 9, Isaiah reveals a bit more the nature of what this child is going to do. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2 to 7, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this commenting on these words of Isaiah. You know, we've been looking at this book, Gentle and Lowly, by Dane Ortland, And uh, you may not be aware, but he's like a multi-generational pastor. 
because his father and his grandfather before him were all pastors and scholars. But his father, Ray Ortland Jr., in a commentary on Isaiah, said this about these words of Isaiah. God's answer to everything that has ever terrorized us is a child. These names that this child will be known by, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, these are titles that are intended to give great comfort to us. But I think we also have to recognize that these are also titles of authority. And so the message here is that if we want to receive what this child will be able to offer, we must come to him with that spirit of surrender, of yielding control to this child that will be born one day as a counselor, a king, a prince. And over 800 years later, this prophecy would come true in the small town of Nazareth through the birth of Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 1, in his gospel, he records, starting in verse 26, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call to him Jesus. And you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and you will be called, uh, and, and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. So this teenage girl in this little town of Nazareth is told that all of these promises about a child being born who will become the Messiah is going to be fulfilled in you. And you are going to bear a child even though you are a virgin. And this child will grow up to become the savior of the world. What I want to focus on is how Mary replied to the angel because she spoke these words, I am your servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Because as wonderful as this promise was to Mary and as odd she must have been by being chosen by God to do this, I think there was no doubt that there was also fear in her heart because to welcome this child into her life was going to cost her everything. And there were going to be troubled days ahead because she would be the mother of the Son of God. In the eighth day after Jesus was born, when they took him to the temple to be consecrated, as was required by the law, a man named Simeon who had waited all of his life for the birth of the Messiah grabbed Jesus in his arms. You can imagine the shock of Joseph and Mary when he did this. And he said this to them. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, 
This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. The wonderful message that I've been talking about throughout this entire Advent season is God's heart for us, how much he loves us and cares for us. But to enter into a relationship with this God that loves us requires us to surrender everything into his loving hands. I don't think that's easy for any of us to do because we have our own wisdom. We have our own efforts that what we think life is about and to receive the life that God wants to give to us in his love for us. We have to be willing to let go of our own wisdom, our own strength, our own ability. You know, um, we didn't grow up in Arkansas. Uh, we immigrated to America when I was four years old from Korea. But the truth is, our first few years in America were really rough. And we lived in quite a bit of poverty in those early years. And I remember um, growing up when uh, my mom would sew all of our own clothes. And so we, the clothes that my brother and I wore to school were not even clothes bought in a store. But my mom sewed them all. And I remember being so embarrassed by it because I would see like jean labels on all the other kids. And I didn't wear jeans. I wore these other pants that were made of fabric that felt like tablecloth to me. And I remember intentionally trying to wear my shirts all the way covering my pants so that the kids couldn't tell that my pants were homemade and I didn't have any labels. And I remember just growing up in America like this, always feeling different, always feeling as an outsider, always feeling like our family was poor. And out of all of that experience, um, one of the things that I was determined to do when I became old and became an adult was to become a doctor and to become super rich and enjoy the good life. That was my wisdom. That was what I thought was the answer to all of the unhappiness in my life. And then when I was a teenager, God grabbed a hold of my heart and showed me what the real meaning of life is. And I can't explain how God did it, but all of that effort to want to make as much money as I possibly could was suddenly let go when I discovered the joy of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. How much freer I could live when I didn't feel like I needed that money to make my life happy. And now I'm 52 years old, and I look back at that choice that I had in life, and I imagined what my life would have been like if God never came into my life. And I would have lived pursuing that dream of thinking that money would have been the answer to everything. And I think about the joy that I have in my life right now. And I think there was no comparison of those two choices. That I would have given up everything to know this life that I have right now. But we don't get that life without the surrender, without giving our lives into the hands of God and letting him do with us what he desires. And so that would be my hope and my prayer is that as we have sat under this teaching for this entire Advent season and thought about God's amazing heart toward us and his love for us, I didn't want today to just be another teaching 
where we look at more and more and more and just learn more and more. But I think what this Christmas service ought to represent is just taking all of that that we have learned and returning it back to him in a heartfelt worship and a heart of surrender. I'll just close with this, and then we will close with some singing and some praise. If you're a sports fan, you probably already know this, but the Green Bay Packers are the only NFL team that's publicly owned. It's basically owned by the town. And so when it snows in Green Bay, which it does a lot, they don't call up snow removal service. What they do is they just post on social media to their fans and say, hey guys, uh, we need the snow cleared uh, because it's game day tomorrow. And every time they do this, the fans answer the call in an amazing way. Because starting around the middle of the night in this frigid, cold, Green Bay weather, they start lining up outside Lambeau Field for 13 hours <laughs> before kickoff. They do this. And the reason why they start gathering in the middle of the night is because they only take the first 350 people. <laughs> and so they're fighting over who gets to shovel snow. Now, they don't do this for free. You get paid. $12 an hour, okay? And so once they let the 350 people in, you can go to the next picture here. These guys stay there for hours, shoveling the snow off of these bleachers in this gigantic stadium. The Green Bay Packers management used to issue checks to pay all these workers, but they stopped doing it and started paying cash only. Do you know why they did that? Because they realized nobody was cashing the checks. People were framing them and hanging them on their wall in their house or pinning them to their cubicle at work. It was a point of pride to have one of these checks because it said, I'm a true fan. I will bleed for this team. I want to tell you people, this is a picture of worship. It's a picture of worship. Sadly, though, it's for a sports franchise team. Not only that, but the worst team in the NFL. <laughs> I kid, you know. My son is a Green Bay fan, so I, as a Bears fan, I, I got to throw that in there. I, I just want to ask you this. Is this how you feel about Jesus? We've been talking this whole month about God's heart toward us. But what is your heart toward him? I wonder how many things like this in your life could evoke this level of devotion, this level of passion and zeal. My hope is that for this Christmas service, it's not just about learning about more facts about God, but it's about thinking about everything that God has done for us in giving us his son and returning it back to him in a heart of worship because Jesus alone deserves devotion like that. Amen? As we close our service, uh, some folks are going to come up and 
It's not something we typically do, but we're going to have a special praise that talks about this heart of giving to the King of Kings who has given us everything. And so I want you to just listen and join in worship as they sing the song for us. And then after that, we're going to close in a couple of other songs together as a congregation. You know, Pastor Peter at the start of the service said, you know, sometimes we enter the Christmas season and we don't all feel like Christmas, do we? Maybe we don't feel like rejoicing. And um, I think that's true of some of us in this congregation today where you're kind of going through a lot. And this doesn't really feel like a very celebratory season for you. And as I was thinking about that, this verse, Ephesians 5.19, just really came to my heart. Where Paul tells the church, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. I wonder if the way that we could close out our service today is for those of you who have been gripped by the heart of God for you during this Advent could bear witness to those in this room that are struggling to celebrate because of circumstances in their life. And would you, as an act of brotherly and sisterly love, sing to God, but also sing to them with your hearts. This is the God that we worship. This is the God that so loves us that we gather here to celebrate this Christmas. 